0: Hello, and thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Damn Good Podcast, your one-stop shop for employee benefits and financial education in the hospitality industry, brought to you by Davidson Asset Management. I'm Alex Keddie, or ak 55, your host and corporate benefits specialist, and each episode I'm joined by an expert from a different field within hospitality. From restaurants, to catering, luxury hotel management, to regional operations, we're asking the big questions to help you, our listeners, arm yourself with the knowledge about the three R's, recruitment, retention, and reward, and how employee benefits play a part in that. Who knows, we might even have some fun along the way. Hello, welcome to the Damn Good Podcast. Today, we're joined by Grazia Aiello. Um, employee experience and wellbeing manager at Dorchester Collection. Welcome along, Grazia, and thanks for agreeing to share your thoughts in this episode.
1: Well, thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me.
0: Great. It's fantastic to have you along. Um, I always start sort of by saying can you provide our listeners with an insight into your background? You know, how, how did you find your way into hospitality and HR as a career?
1: Ooh, that's a that's a long story uh, let me try to make it as quickly as possible uh, so I am from uh, the deep south of Italy, and um, I, I went to study in Milan I finished my university course and at some point I had to choose whether to do my specialism uh, course in Milan itself or to do it abroad so I, I took the chance of going abroad so I was like hey dad I'm going to England just for one year and then I'm back. Don't worry, I'll be back home soon. Um, and then 17 years afterwards, I'm still here. Uh, so I, I took a, a university course, uh, University of Surrey, a uh, master course in tourism development. And then I just started looking for jobs. And I, I just, my first job happened to be in a hotel uh, as receptionist. Like many of us coming from abroad, uh, do, and uh, I, and that's where it all started. I just loved the the hotel environment. For me, coming from abroad, it was like a big family, so I really enjoyed being part of that big Family and my connections, and all that. Uh, and I just started getting exposure in all different departments. Um, and then I grew operationally, I got into the commercial world, so into reservations, group reservations, events, sales, and marketing. And then I in the meantime I got married and got pregnant <laughs> and and then at that point I started reflecting on is this really what I want to do uh, and it just came back to me that I've always wanted to be in uh, in HR in fact so I asked my HR manager at the time if there was any possibility to join the team uh, with my previous company and so there was an opportunity when I came back from maternity leave as HR assistant. And then a couple of years afterwards, I joined Dorchester Collection, I've been there for six years. So it's 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 been a it's been a nice journey.
0: Fabulous, fabulous. I mean, what's what would you say attracted you to the Dorchester? Was there was it just um, you know how, how did you was it just the job opportunity in HR that came about, or did you know people that worked there, or how how did you sort of get attracted to the Dorchester? I mean, it's such a wonderful, uh, you know brand and value you'd known brand value sort of thing i just, I,
1: just... I knew Dorchester collection on paper i didn't know anybody from that world i w- actually was approached uh, on linkedin um i didn't apply for the job um so i'm very i'm very grateful that all this happened that way because at that time um i actually didn't think that i could even apply for a job at Dorchester collection because Oh come on. Yep. I'm a that- little me coming from abroad. I'm, I'm I'm not British. I don't speak the language uh, 100% fluently, so for me it was it was not a possibility. I never thought that I could be part of this world. So my wow, perception yeah. was um
0: you felt it was, you know, slightly as a brand or a well-known um, yes, company. Yes. definitely, tell you thought I wouldn't they wouldn't be interested in I, it, was just, it
1: was just it was it was something that was common to all of us. Yeah. Like you know yeah. that the five star world is It's got that order. Yes. With- and it's difficult to penetrate, it's difficult to be part of it. Like you I don't know. It's- it was just a perception among all of us so when i actually got the opportunity people were really really like oh my gosh yes this is it this is this is your opportunity just go for it well, that's terrific. um no, it was it was incredible it was been an incredible ride and and i realized that actually that was not the case at all like there is an openness from from when you're within uh, that is completely misperceived out there.
0: This is great because this is exactly what the mm-hmm. podcast today is going to be about. So you're more than qualified to, to, <laughs> to talk about this uh, this subject, top this topic that we will be covering. Um, so I was thinking, if you were on holiday mm-hmm. abroad and you were talking to an individual about just what you've explained, you know, where you work and how you came into that sort of work, what would you say to make them consider a career in hospitality in the UK? Do you think there's anything that would... Make you that if you're speaking to them, having a conversation, saying why we, should they come and work in the United Kingdom? Is it the opportunities that exist? Perhaps since you know you've kindly alluded to previously that you know the opportunity came about and it was there. So it was the opportunities that exist.
1: It it was yes for me. I mean the reason why I left Italy was I I wanted a change. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to be out there. Um, this was. A starting platform like a springboard for something else uh the fact that then after seventeen years i'm I'm still here because I'm obviously enjoying the ride and I got married and a child and a cat and a house you know <laughs> <laughs> that is a it. Uh, it comes with it so now it's a little bit more difficult to 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 go anywhere else, but to be honest, I'm actually still finding difficult to think of a different place for me to leave because um, I just find it, it's 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 a place for opportunities, and the hospitality world in particular, the hotel world in particular, is a world where you have to put a lot in. There is a lot of uh, efforts and a lot of um, yourself that you need to give to the industry. Um, but then, think your efforts are recognized and you do grow. Yeah, the rewards. Uh, can there be. is a there is a meritocracy behind um behind your growth so
0: yeah yeah no absolutely i mean that's one thing i, I have noticed uh, when we deal with the hospitality industry you know if you it's hard work and you put the effort in but the rewards in terms of you can be relatively young and have a lot of responsibility and pretty well paid as well so it has got um definite if if you're willing to put the the hard yards in at the start um so moving on earlier this year the office of national statistics said almost 100,000 European or EU nationals, had left jobs in hospitality in the two years to June 2021. Basically, the highest level of any industry. Why do you think they left the industry? And how do we encourage them to return to hospitality jobs? And I was thinking more, even though they've left, it doesn't mean to say they've left the UK, I suppose. Um, I hear stories of people leaving and going to work for delivery, you know, delivery drivers or... Or something along those lines. So it doesn't actually mean they left the United Kingdom. I was just wondering, you know, why do you think that is the case, especially in hospitality? Is there is there some is it the hard is it the hard work or the hours you have to put in, perhaps, or the lack of
1: flexibility? That is a very big question. And yeah, very sorry, a controversial I, I, one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what the for idea is. The, po- yeah, the, the, the
0: podcast is. I try. I try my best to be a very bit controversial, <laughs> but uh, but uh, to try and get some insight into. What 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 do you think the challenges are? Okay. I mean, people talk about it. we know on the the Caterer and all of the publications that you know retent, recruitment and retention is such a big issue. Um, I'm just curious to see if there's any thoughts or insights that perhaps there's reasons why behind it.
1: I think that there has been a bit of an awakening for every single one of us working in the hotel industry that. Um, sometimes the efforts that we have to put in initially in order to see that growth might hold other aspects of our lives back. Um, there is a there is an element of the being a 24 hours operation that that makes it difficult for you to have, uh, a bit a social life when all of your friends uh, have weekends off, evenings off. Um, it makes it difficult to to have a family and realistically look at childcare because because how do we organize pickups and drop offs when I'm on a schedule and uh, you know actually, so I what shift, can work any shifts. So it 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 is very tricky right now. It is very tricky. Um, I think that the whole not just us as Dorchester Collection, but I think the whole hospitality world has to um, has a responsibility right now to really look at what we offer to our employees in terms of work life balance and make a genuine, genuine effort into changing the way we work and we operate as a business to allow people to to live a life outside of work it's as i said to you for me coming from abroad it was extremely rewarding at that time to be part of this industry because again i was a solo flyer Uh, i was on my own so I, i had no family i had no friends my hotel colleagues became my family and friends and i loved that um that scenario could have become a little bit tighter the moment in which i i was moving on to a next stage of life where i wanted to have a bit more stability so um it's natural that there, there's a there, there's a bit of reflections to do for us as a as an industry and 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 to see what i know there's a there's this buzzword you know the f- flexible working and which was. Oh, automatically trans- translated into working from home which is not the thing um i think is we as an industry we really need to look at what flexibility means and and really change our way of working finding solutions uh to become attractive to to a world of people out there that want to dedicate themselves to the hotels
0: that's Fascinating, I mean, and some really powerful words there, responsibility being one. I mean, that's really, resonates massively, a responsibility of the the industry itself to to look into these. It's very um, strong and powerful uh, words. And it actually, funnily enough, leads on to one of the other questions that I was going to ask you, just when you mentioned about work work flexibility. I mean, obviously many jobs within hospitality or in hotels, especially, Then there can't be that you've got to be in that specific location, like food and beverage or you know housekeeping. There's no way that you can work from home or have that sort of remote feeling. But I guess certain parts of the industry, maybe since perhaps the pandemic, uh, maybe there's been opportunities for people to give them that work-life balance, perhaps by working from home. You know, in terms of I was thinking maybe call centers or maybe sales that perhaps don't necessarily have to be in there and are there opportunities or should there or could there be opportunities for such individuals if they don't necessarily want to work in the United Kingdom could they still be work from a base somewhere you know remotely but still be able to do their job or or has that been tried and has been less successful?
1: Uh, It's not something that is done as easily as it could seem. Uh, There are a lot of Legal and tax implications, health and safety. Um, you need to be set up as a as as a remote working company to allow certain things to happen. Uh, I know that there is a uh, there is companies out there, uh, even within the hospitality world, that allow for a certain amount of time to work remotely in a year as a benefit. Um, that sounds very attractive. Uh, it does have. Um, it's not as easy as it sounds. Um, as a company, it it we've we've been exploring, we've been considering, we are looking into all of that. Uh, but going back a little bit about the whole, uh, there are certain positions that require you to be uh, to be there. Mm. Um, yes, totally, absolutely, you can not be. Uh, a server (laughs) outside of the hotel, right? Um, But I think again, flexibility is not just the working from home, it's about the hours that you work and when you work and the the way the scheduling is set up. and, um, And really looking at, we've been used to have people working 40 hours weekly on 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 these fluctuating shifts is there any way that we can change the way we work to allow them a bit more of 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 a flexible approach to their flexibility company flexibility towards their need um which could be even like doing uh, less hours weekly or uh, compressed hours job sharing um or even just having a different way of scheduling work uh, that could allow them to have that bit more of a work-life balance because they know when they're going into work they know when they can pick up the, the children from school and when their partner can go and pick up their children from school uh, or you know when they can go to, to the gym for their favourite uh, fitness class because they cannot subscribe to any gyms if if they've got shifts here and there and everywhere
0: Absolutely, yeah, no, totally. Uh, understand. I mean, in terms of, I mean, chefs is one area that I know mm-hmm. restaurants, for instance, have been really keen to sort of try and even look at closing not just one day but two days, um, you know, to allow people to have a quality or a balance, uh, you know, work-life balance, um, because obviously chefs is quite a it's a difficult uh, recruitment area. i have even heard that uh, was it the indicator that the boutique hotel group are actually trying to hire chefs from mm-hmm. India um, because they they can't get them in the UK. Admittedly, it didn't qualify if that was because of the work-life balance. But I do know that, you know, chefs find it quite challenging to do split shifts, you know, coming in mm-hmm. the morning and coming back in the afternoon or in the evening. And there are long hours, but it's quite clear that, yeah, there is need, a requirement in the industry to look at that sort of we, flexibility. We have yeah, to. Yeah. We have to. Uh,
1: there's no way around it.
0: <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So in your role as an employee experience and well-being manager, how do you test the mood of your workforce? and have you seen any significant changes over the last 2 to 3 years i mean have you noticed i was talking about things like you know the horrible b word brexit and then the pandemic um you know do do you survey your staff or or how do you check the mood of your your your, your valued employees
1: well, there's a, there's a number of tools. Uh, I mean that the obviously the engagement surveys are one of those. We really push for um, all employees to participate into the survey and to and to not just tick a box, but to leave us comments because through the comments, we can have a better reading of the reasons why they've given us certain answers. So it's not about just levels of participation. There's a there's a genuine wish for our company to get that feedback from people um, regularly in order to to, to have that um, check on on their mood. So that is the the one standard method. Um, but I think that it's it's a lot. Um, it's a lot down to relationships as well, and how you build those relationships within uh, within within your day of work. Um, I am a I'm a sound believer in in these. Um, people do need to have a point of reference within the organization, whether it's the line manager, whether it's the it's that it's someone in people and culture, like in our team, or um, there has to be somebody that they can. Build, they can go to and speak if they have any concerns they want to voice or if they want to tell us oh my gosh that's been amazing, well done or th- that there has to be um, we have to build those genuine relationships with, and meaningful relationship with our employees for them to open up to us um, and I think that one of the ways uh, that we try and do that and strive to do that and we continue to work into improving that side of um, our organization is through the induction period. Um, so we were' actually reviewing the way we do we we onboard people to strengthen those relationships because we feel that at times, especially now that the the world of hospitality has opened up a little bit more, uh, so. Uh, yes, we're losing, as you were saying before, we're losing people to other industries, but we're also hiring from other industries. So there is a there is a whole wind of change uh, in our world. Um, so we also need to understand. That people that come into our hotels are not accustomed to our way of working, uh, the the terminologies that we use. They we don't know. They don't know exactly how operations work and all of that. So there is a. So it's not back in back in the day. It could have been just because of people coming from abroad or and you know having to learn the jargon, but now there is there is a whole world of. Candidates coming, new starters coming in through our doors that just don't know what a hotel is. They don't know what a general manager is. They don't know what CMB is, FMB, and all the things that for us are just uh,
0: a given. Yeah. A given, yeah, yes. Absolutely. They just don't
1: know. So there is a um, and and for them, maybe they've applied for a job as receptionist. Uh, they had a perception of that job, but what if then within their first month or so they're like oh my gosh actually i'm not enjoying standing all the time or but there's actually that other position that might be interesting to me like how do we how do we look at the needs of the people that we bring through our doors to to sit and and be flexible towards them so yeah
0: it's it's a it's a it's a huge area mm-hmm. um but i'm delighted to hear that you're, you're you're making moves and i guess it is just trying to build that into your values, I suppose, as, a, as, a, mm-hmm. as, a, as an organisation, to yeah. have an open-door sort of policy. And as you say, people have the trust to be able to open up and be transparent and open with individuals about um, mm-hmm. what the feedback is, irrespective of what type of feedback it is. And Indeed. I think that's part of the, the challenge in any industry, let alone hospitality, is having that honesty and ability to, to, to live the values that you, um, your organisation portrays. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's partly leads again on to, you know, we know we've come through two years of really difficult challenging times um, for the, the hospitality industry. And I mean, is, can you give some examples or how did your organization support the workforce during these difficult times of, you know, that we've just been through? Um, you know, is, is it something that, you know, com- companies have said, well, we've got to go through all these challenges. Um, how do we be seen to be supporting the workforce?
1: I think the the biggest um, thing that we did for our teams, for our employees, uh, for our people really was to um, guarantee their jobs. Uh, It was the one thing that it's been recognized as um, Biggest possible thing that we could have done at that time, at a time where all of us individually were hearing terrible stories from our old colleagues and friends in the industry, uh, the, the the redundancy being made. Uh, there was such a level of uncertainty that being able to uh, we were very fortunate to be able to maintain all jobs um, yeah. and and yes there's been a natural attrition anyway throughout the time because again uh, we might have preserved people jobs but it could be that maybe their partners didn't weren't as uh, as fortunate so they, they had to make a decision as a family it could be that again there was that awakening of actually, I'm um, I'm tired. I just want to do something else. Uh, There've been a lot of people that started their own businesses. People moving back to their home countries because they wanted to see their families, and 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 you know they they just couldn't leave with that uncertainty of not being able to travel. Uh, so there's been a natural attrition, but um, it I think it's something that has been broadly appreciated, even by those who left uh the fact that we were able to keep the to keep the jobs. Yeah. Um and that was not just within uh, the UK or with the with the support from the from the government it was in all our, in all of our regions. Um even people that had just been uh hired just before we went into our first lockdowns so the technique's still in probation, we kept everybody's jobs because uh we just we just couldn't face the um, th- leaving people out, out at such a difficult time and as you but say again, you were a fortunate position exactly, to do that as exactly. an we're very, was, I totally recognise. that we, we were very fortunate and yes. I'm
0: sure a lot of employees that were in that position probably saw the loyalty mm-hmm. and will repay that in years to come perhaps but well, the, that's, that's the hope
1: definitely but there was just one thing that again mm-hmm. we could do because um, because of financial stability but uh, that again all of the all of the hotels and the corporate office there we've had a genuine effort um in keeping in touch with people checking in with them looking after their well-being uh is there is there anything that they needed whilst they were at home that we could have supported them with um we've we've kept in touch we've got them involved we we'd anything that we could do virtually Um, the newsletters that started going around it sounds like the silliest thing but we had uh, we we started this um, this uh, weekly newsletter it was bi-weekly at the very beginning and you know it was a lot of it had a lot of well-being topics on all of our all of all of the areas that we were covering including financial well-being Um, and you know, we started in saying, "Oh well, who knows? They're gonna read it. They're not gonna read it. It's fine. We'll just send it out because we feel like we want to keep in touch." There's been such an incredible response. People were just grateful to to be kept in the loop, to uh, to just being contacted by the company at a time where everything was stalling and it was complete silence, and we were we were just like. You know we were just being vocal, and people had just uh, um topics to discuss, oh my gosh the, the thing that you said in the newsletter or oh my god, the, the puzzle that you sent through or what was the solution you know it just gave a reason to to talk and exchange um so that was something else, and then even within within the operations and for all of the, the, the there were there were some part of the operations that were still. In work because of because the hotels need to be kept alive uh, even when everything is shut. Yes. Um,
0: yes, I guess maintenance still has exactly, to take place. Exactly. Exactly. Like be people who knew? new Security.
1: Have, you have to run the taps, no matter what. <laughs> Did you know that? I well, <laughs> funny
0: enough, one hotel told me that they had a swimming pool and they had to keep that. You know, because it's yeah. something that I hadn't even really thought about. I mean, to me, yeah. I guess after a while they drain it. I suppose, but. I mean, it was something that I hadn't really thought about, all these things that guests use, and as you say, um, maintenance running the taps to keep them... (laughs) And I suppose when you reopen, there's all that concern about things like Legionnaires Mm -hmm. and all that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you don't really fully appreciate what goes on, but really behind the scenes, even if a hotel is relatively dormant in terms of people being used as a hotel exactly yes yes
1: and and again lots of initiatives lots of ways of keeping in touch whether it was the the yoga class all together or you know things that we've heard from from a lot of companies but I think it was a it was a good mix of um, of initiatives that kept us alive and and in contact as a team so that when we came back we just felt like stronger than before because we had gone through all of these. We had kept in touch, so nobody lost touch with what was going on with the company. And then we came back, and we were like stronger than before, and like really wanting to put a hundred percent into it, all hands on deck. So it was a, it was an, it was a very powerful experience. Very powerful experience.
0: Yeah, it's it's clear that communication is is mm-hmm. so important. Even as you say, going back to something as simple as perhaps you thinking it's a bit. Maybe cheesy putting a weekly newsletter or something out, but people shared that, that and it and it was something that basically people appreciated and 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 valued.
1: Like we as a team, for example, at some point, at the very beginning, we were meeting every day. We were having like daily huddles, Mm. because it was just a good opportunity to just chat to each other and have and have a contact with the outside world. It's the key is those meaningful relationships. We have that as a as a as a pillar of our culture. Um, towards our guests and I think we have exactly the same intention with towards our employees building meaningful relationships because that just pays back just pays yeah. back so much
0: and and that kind of also sort of um, comes on board with the, the communication part is a question I wanted to ask about in terms of, of employee benefits I mean mm-hmm. There's a couple of points you mentioned earlier about um, the fact that, you know, sometimes English isn't the first language. But is there a need for better communication of benefits offerings, not just for the UK, but also for overseas workers? Because uh, one of the things that our research paper, our last damn report, showed that language was mentioned as an important aspect of communication. And I've harped on about this even in our own industry of financial services. We're notoriously bad for using jargon. And I heard you earlier talking about mm-hmm. using things like GM, f and B. A A lot of people might, who are relatively new to that industry might go, well, what, what does that mean? So we all fall into the trap. I'm as guilty as anybody else we're using jargon. But is there potentially better ways to communicate? And how do we do that? Or what sort of thoughts about how do we get the benefits more um, uh, so people understand what value the benefits are?
1: we all, we need to look at we need to look at our people and and who we have in front of us i think when i said about the whole onboarding process and how uh, how crucial that is in building those relationships but that is, that is the moment where you get to know the person behind that job title and you know what stage of life they are you know what what again what their needs are and how you can support them because again we have a responsibility towards them, they are with us for a substantial part of their of their day and their life uh, so it's important that we give them what they need for them to be able to live comfortably
0: So it's interesting you mention that, so you actually survey sometimes your employees, I mean one of the things is I suppose would there be differences as you see, I mean everybody's unique that's, that's what makes the world so fantastic, we're all unique but there will be individuals that will have different as you say requirements needs and wants and i suppose whether you're domestic based or exactly. from overseas mm-hmm. and it's it's quite interesting i mean I, I always think could employers perhaps fund a range of voluntary benefits that could support workers for instance to return home to see family so for example could you perhaps buy and sell annual leave to allow overseas workers to spend more time because obviously they've got to take a day traveling to their place and they could maybe buy and sell a holiday or perhaps give them discounted travel to allow them to spend more time with their loved ones back home. And it would be like offering a sort of pot of money and that they could use that for their own. You could buy and sell holidays or whatever. It's just an area that perhaps is something that could be seen in uh, the hospitality arena especially having so many overseas anything can be
1: seen anything can be seen it's just uh, it's just the feasibility and the budgeting and uh, and the the willingness anything can be done anything can be discussed it's it's uh, it's about looking at who you are as a company and how you want to support your employees and and if that is something that is considered valuable it could be that to somebody holiday is not a thing and maybe um, private medical is a is a thing you know or being able to support their elderly parents through uh, the, through their elderly lives, so yes, I, it could it absolutely. Could be, it could be anything. Uh, so, so is it getting
0: the balance? Is it working out? Because you can't give everything to every individual. Exactly. I appreciate that, as you say, there is a finite budget. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, your finance director is not mm-hmm. going to be particularly happy. <laughs> but in terms of trying to, I suppose that that's the key, I guess, is is what we're saying is to understand what the majority of people want. So. How do, going back to the point about how do you get that? Again, did you put it into a survey for them and say what benefits do they find useful? Or and, and that goes back to my earlier question, the communication of it. I mean, I know for myself, I speak to individuals in the hospitality arena and in the financial service industry, and a lot of them still aren't familiar with things like critical illness or income protection. They get mixed up with seeing the mm-hmm. different benefits, and mm-hmm. that's quite um, a challenge to get in our industry to get the message out, let alone... For individuals who perhaps have you know, got that benefit to see the actual benefit of it. And I always think sometimes the best way to get that message out is using case studies. I, I genuinely believe that case studies sometimes because inevitably somebody has a situation and unfortunately we all know the good news is that the diagnosis of things like cancer is now being um, quite quick in terms of being able to diagnose it. And the good news is with advancement in medical science, it doesn't mean necessarily the death sentence as it used to be as such, a cancer. But understanding that that supports there or what other supports there is very important. And I guess for some individuals who perhaps aren't familiar with the, 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 those sort of terminology because English isn't the first language is quite a challenge. And what's the point of offering them if they're not valued by the individuals who are you know partaking in the scheme?
1: Financial education is extremely important. Um, I, I keep I, I keep brainstorming with your team, actually, as to, mm. <laughs> as to finding ways yes, of really getting to our people. <laughs> I know, like, every day I'm like, hey, Rachel, <laughs> how about we do this? And she's like, oh, gosh, and she comes again.
0: <laughs> no, but it's um, great. But that's what it's about. It's the only way the industry it's going to
1: and that's because you know I'm I'm having exit interviews with people and you know I always ask them so a general feedback about their experience throughout uh, their journey with us and, and then I also specifically ask about the benefits uh, because I want to hear whether they've made use of them, whether they, they were aware that we had certain things. And, and it's incredible how many people just come back to say that I actually have not looked into retirement or not, I don't know, what? Like income protection, what was that? And I was like, okay, so <laughs> so I give them a little even if they're leaving us, I still give them a bit of an understanding because I'm like, wherever you go next, Make sure you ask those questions, because you had it here, and it was available to you. So, but to capture them before, then, again, again, then you go back and reflect, and like, okay, where did, what did we miss? How did we as a company fail for them not to know that there was this thing? Because I know that we talk about this during induction. I know that we, we had our benefits breakfast. I know that I, I keep talking to them like uh, in, in passing in, in, in the corridor and say, hey, did you sign up to, to the pension scheme? You know, I know that I do that. Um, but why, why there is a lack of attention, of personal interest into these things almost? And it's not a lack of personal interest. like recently we had one of the employees that really got me thinking because she was like no you know uh, I'm at a point in life where I need to I need to you know I' I'm, I'm I'm 32 I'm starting to thinking about what I really want from life and I really need to uh, have these goals to achieve and and I want this and that and 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 I was like okay um, were you on a pension scheme at all or like did you did uh, did you know about the the options here? And she was like, "No, I never looked into that because you know I'm like, but and I was like, well, you know that it's cash at the end of the month. I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's something like you know the whole uh, salary sacrifice, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. like but you talk to people about salary sacrificing like what sacrificing what i don't want to sacrifice anything thank you no thank you very much bye i think
0: that's a very important point because one of the things we try and use is salary exchange but there uh there's an exact precise question that you mentioned about the communication and the jargon that's used and the lack of understanding because as you, you say that what am i giving up or what am i sacrificing no that's not a good so that's the industry that's the financial service industry generally wrong using that. So that's why I always try and encourage salary exchange sort of thing, because you are just exchanging it for mm-hmm. something else. And as you quite rightly say, there are benefits off that, um, of going down that route. Um, and it is fascinating. It's it's one of the things that the financial service industry has not necessarily struggled, but getting people to understand, as I say earlier, the differences mm. um, of the benefits. Because they are. When you look at your overall rewards package, and nobody likes to think about necessarily things like death and you know, illness or anything. But ultimately, we're grown up. We know that these things can happen at any point in your career. And I think that things like the challenges we've got just now with the energy crisis and the, the prices going up, one of the key things I've always been a big advocate from many years ago, and I'm long on the tooth, but is having that sort of three to six months emergency fund mm. for certain moments like this. So having savings. But I sometimes do wonder that we have maybe controversially had it qu- not easy but interest rates have been low for so long that I think perhaps people haven't really seen this um, and don't have as much savings set aside for these for this sort of what I'd call rainy day or, or fixing the roof
1: Yes yeah, it, it, I guess it, it's all down to that financial education how you get that how do you get that through and how do you talk to different people with different needs at different stage of life and um but the base is you need to know your people. You need to know you've got in front of you, and they need to know that you're open to discuss. Um, and sometimes, I mean, I always say that we put things out there, um, and they might choose not to not to deal with them. But at least they know that it's a topic. At least they know that it's something that they should be thinking of. And at least they know that it's that if. At some point, there's another awakening, and they and they and they think, "Oh, actually, let me ask that question." They know who to ask that question to. So there's just so much you can do. You can't force things onto people, but the fact that you're talking about topics, whether it's mental health or financial well-being, or you know, it, it, it's just for them to know that there are people that they can go to if they have if they have a question.
0: Yeah, and I think also. Um, I find that companies, I've had a few companies who have actually, their senior managers have actually put themselves up for, as a case study. You know, some of them have been mm-hmm. brave enough to go and do this and say, I've had an issue, whether it be a gambling mm-hmm. or someone's had a, a stroke or something and they've explained. And there's nothing, that's a horrible word to say, but there's nothing better than people to have an actual peer or somebody, a colleague that's gone through that to understand it. I think the classic one was I had a hotel where, an individual who was 26 had uh, an issue, uh, you know, the brain hemorrhage sort of thing and mm. uh, pay out for critical owners one time salary. That individual, you know, thankfully survived. But the financial support to allow her to recuperate in that through that was important. And I, I, I'm, I'm a real advocate of thinking that sometimes the best way <laughs> is the, the saddest way is in somebody that you know has experienced stories. it. That's it. And maybe that's something that we need to
1: totally very yeah. open to this guy yeah. isn't it, it, it i very much so yeah. I mean look at the ted talks uh and the impactful because people they start from their personal stories and and their personal stories yeah storytelling is just uh, it's it's a great way of approaching these actually
0: absolutely great so financial mm-hmm. i always think financial mm-hmm. well-being is probably the the be start of it too a lot of people who have got mm-hmm. death the scene and that put, yeah. leads to the mental illness or the the lack of turning up for work or being productive mm-hmm. because they've got issues back home. But uh, 100%, it's yeah. been an absolute blast as always. So thank you. Oh, thank, thank you very Alex. much for um, <laughs> participating. It's been an absolute pleasure. Likewise. And I hope um, the listeners have enjoyed this episode. And as always, if you've got any questions that you perhaps wish to put to Grazie or myself, you, you know where to contact us. So thanks very much and uh, we'll be seeing you. Thank you thank you so much for tuning in to the damn good podcast if you enjoyed today's episode don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review it really does help us reach more ears. you can follow us on linkedin on damn good finance or visit our website at www.damgoodpensions.com if you'd like us to put a question to one of our esteemed guests please do not hesitate to get in touch until the next time, here's to you tomorrow.